Hey, what up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Second Line studio. I'm your host, Zach Ferry. Joining me for the LSU Hangover Edition. A couple days tardy here. All on me. Not on Ben. Not on Nick. All my fault. Had some things to take care of on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, Sunday was not going to happen. So uh, we are here. Um, Belated, nonetheless, to recap the LSU Ole Miss game. Ben, Nick, welcome in, gentlemen, as we record on uh, this late afternoon. Hey, we're about as quick as the Ole Miss pass rush. Hey. Very topical. Yeah, that's why that's why some people lost their jobs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Pretty apropos. Could say that. Um but Ole Miss lost in Death Valley, fifty-eight or excuse me, fifty-three, forty-eight. Um, kind of a wild game. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on it. We're going to get to another seg, uh, another topic in the second segment. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna touch on it. Um, weird game. First quarter, super low scoring. Um, LSU jumps out to a huge halftime lead with twenty-four second quarter points. Ole Miss scores thirteen in the third. 14 in the fourth. Um, I mean, just without unpacking everything. Um, and Ben, I know that you have some particular takes on this, uh, uh, what I'm about to say, but you're a uh, pick six away from getting a road victory and uh, ending the year at uh, five and four. Yeah, you, you know, the, it wasn't a bad showing by Ole Miss. And it, including the turnovers and everything, I I wasn't I wasn't displeased with the effort of the team. Matter of fact, it's a, in a roundabout way. It's encouraging to see how they continued to fight. I mean, you know, Matt Corral throws the interceptions in the first half. How many were there? Five, I guess, four and a fumble, but that they counted a pick. Um, but you know, he's running for his life. LSU played fast on defense. It looked like they were jumping the routes. And then in the second half, he made adjustments and, frankly, was more or less the reason that Ole Miss, you know, had the ball up eight with five minutes to go. So, all in all, it's fine. I I hate that we didn't take advantage of one of LSU's worst teams in recent memory, but that's fine. I mean, you move on. It's You're still early in a coach's tenure, and uh, I liked – I like Kiffin's body language in his in his uh, press conference after the game. You know, we're, he said, I mean, while he's only been here a year, he said we've been here too long to be happy with a moral victory or something like that. And that, and I, I like that because in the past, you know, it wouldn't have been that way. I mean, really, our last three coaches wouldn't have been that way. So uh, it's good to see. Yeah, too. I mean, what Corral did in the second half, I guess, running the ball. I mean, that was a big thing of his was kind of, you know, taking what the defense was giving him. But, I mean, man, I don't know if you – I mean, I said it. I thought in the first half watching what he did, it was just he wasn't going to to flip a switch, and he kind of did. I liked that a lot because, man, you know, I don't want to get to Alabama next year or in two years, however long he stays, and be, you know – sitting there with the chance to win and Matt Corral just can't figure it out because he, you know, when it, when it's a bad game, it's the entire day. So it was, it was good to see him kind of, you know, put the first half behind him and move on in the second half. And, and really, I just, I liked, I, I liked a ton what he was doing, what he was able to do whenever the defense was, you know, everyone had their back turned and he was able to scoot for 12 yards or something like that. Yeah, it was kind of, 
similar to the Auburn game where uh, LSU did a nice job of confusing, disguising coverages, uh, jumping routes, as Ben said. I thought the pick six, which um, statistically, numerically, technically decided the game. Um, ben and I were talking about it. Uh, that's just an incredibly difficult throw to make uh, from the far hash to the to the far sideline. Uh, I thought the route was pretty mediocre. Uh, Mingo didn't really um, come out of his break really hard. He didn't come back to the football. And then I can't remember who it was that picked it off. I think it might have been Jay Ward. Um, just sat on it and jumped it. I mean, that throw is, it takes so long for the ball to get there. Um, but after that, I mean, Corral made adjustments. Jeff Levy, Lane Kiffin made adjustments. They ran the ball more. Corral had more design runs. He was a little bit smarter with the football in the second half. Um, he, like like you said, tucked it and ran a little bit more. Uh, defensively, though, was, was where you, you got to continue to be frustrated. And look, it's kind of, they are what they are at this point. Um, they did get a couple stops, but, you know, Keishon Butte had uh, a record day. Max Johnson had a record day. They just, for whatever reason, consistently only rushed three, and they only would bring edge pressure. Um, the few times that they brought interior pressure, uh, we were talking about during the game, it worked. Um, I don't know why they didn't stick with that, but um, like Ben said, you, you had a chance to win the game on the road, in a year like this when things are strange and then you've also you were down four of your best offensive players uh elijah moore kenny aboa opted out and then at that point in the game jerry neely and braylon sanders were banged up and weren't in the game uh the offensive line had a had a night to remember a uh, night to forget i should say not a night to remember um the lsu and and bo Pelini, who's now fired had a nice plan and, and they were able to confuse the offensive line and uh, Corral was just desperately trying to make things happen. But all in all, it, it is what it is. Um, I would have liked for Matt to have not gotten the ball stripped there and just to see what he could have done in those last uh, uh, minute and a half or so and try to get down there to win the game. But uh, you get to go to a bowl game um, playing a really good Indiana team in Tampa at the Outback Bowl. So before... Uh, we head on to the second segment. What are our early thoughts on uh, on the bowl game matchup? They're a good hmm. squad. I don't know that we've played anybody that talks as much trash as their fans do. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's weird. It's a weird place to see an Indiana team that you maybe don't feel like you're as good as. I mean, you know, five years ago, if you had said we're playing Indiana in a football game, you'd have felt pretty good about it. But, I mean, that, that's a good Indiana team. I really think so. And Tom Allen's got them in a good spot. Uh, I don't – I know they're they're going to be without, you know, Michael Penix, their, their starter at quarterback, but I don't necessarily think that he's all that they've got. Um, you know, Allen's a defensive guy. They they play pretty well. I mean, you, you got – y'all watched them against Ohio State. That's not a team – totally devoid of, of athletes, right? And so they're going to have, uh, what, a couple guys that Ole Miss looked pretty heavily at. Is, is Fry Fogel out for the season, or is he still playing? As far, not, as, far as I know, he's still playing. Yeah, I don't know anything yeah. about that. So, I mean, there's some guys in there that, that you know, we were – I don't necessarily say that we were after, but there's some guys that absolutely can, can play pretty big-level football. So I think that, you know, you see Indiana and you should think maybe a little bit more along the lines of, like, Iowa than you, than you would Indiana because this is not your typical Indiana te- in a team. Yeah, there was an uh, interesting stat that I saw um, courtesy of uh, our man Gray Hardison – 
uh, in the one game that they played this year without um, uh, Michael Penix, uh, Indiana averaged .259 points per play, which would be around 118th in the country. Um, for the year, they were at .433 um, with Penix, and so that's a, pretty much a direct indicator that he was what made that offense go. He was super explosive. He was very elusive. He could run um, through the ball pretty well. Um, and just for comparison's sake, um, Ole Miss is right at four, 0.499 per play, which is good for 20th in the country. Uh, against LSU, Ole Miss was 0.623 points per play, which is pretty bonkers. Um I said it in my kind of brief uh, preview post that I put on the site. I mean, this is kind of a something's got to give type game. Indiana's defense is is pretty salty. Uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup because they're not overly fast, um, but they tackle well in space. They're pretty fundamentally sound. Um, they are hardly in the wrong spot. So you've got that, you know, kind of stereotypical Big Ten defense lugging around the field and then you've got uh what used to be the big 12 but now the sec uh high flying offense scoring a ton of points tempo going fast um so this is going to be i think it's going to be an interesting matchup i think uh the early line i saw was indiana um given almost seven points um i kind of like that already yeah i think it's down to six and a half you, you think you like that for Ole miss you said Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Who, who are we going to after? You know, Braylon Sanders. I feel pretty confident in saying he's not going to play. I don't. I haven't heard anything officially, but typically when a guy walks off with you know putting absolutely no weight whatsoever, I mean the, the foot wasn't even touching the ground. Typically, that guy's not going to be back within you know ten or twelve days. And at this point, there's really no reason to push him back. It's not like you know we're playing for an SEC title or anything. So. You've got, you know, Braylon Sanders is out. Uh, I don't know about Jerry Neely and whether he's going to play or not. And if he does, if he doesn't play, then you're really kind of limited on your workhorse back. Obviously, Moore's out. Your boy is not playing. I just don't know that there's the offense to keep up with with Indiana, as tough as that might be to say. Well, again, no Michael Penix. So how explosive is that offense going to be? I mean, they played a hapless Wisconsin team and only scored 14 points. Um, with, uh, and now I'm just losing, uh, going completely blank on the dude's name. Um, the backup quarterback for Indiana. Um, he's a transfer guy. What is his freaking uh, Jack Tuttle? Jack Tuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nowhere near as dynamic as Penix. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying Ole Miss is just going to win outright and dominate, but uh, I don't think that this is. It. I don't think it's any stretch to say that Ole Miss could could hang in there and make it interesting. Um, I mean, Ole Miss has explosive playmakers. They've still. Uh, I think the last I heard, they expect Ely to be back. They still have Henry Parrish over there. Um, and I mean, look, it's a it is a really good Indiana defense. I think that they're close to leading the nation, or they're up there in the top five in interceptions. Um, 
so like I said, fundamentally sound, they're going to challenge this offense. And yeah, I mean, you've got two weeks for Matt Corral to do some film study and, uh, you know, for him to rebound because look at nobody's as competitive as Matt Corral and nobody wants to get it fixed as bad as he does, but he's still got to do it. Um, so if he can throw that LSU game in the trash and, uh, get back to what he looked like against, you know, South Carolina, Florida, Alabama, um, I, I think Ole Miss has certainly got a shot. Yeah. I think Ole Miss has a shot if only because they're, really hasn't been a game where Ole Miss has just been run off the field. And, you know, Ole Miss has certainly played more talented teams from a recruiting standpoint than Indiana. That would be probably everybody on the schedule this year. Um, uh, you know, I think there's probably two or three teams that Ole Miss has played that are just flat better than Indiana, Florida, Alabama uh, being two for sure. Um, Ole Miss didn't play A&M, so I can't include them. Um, but at the same time, Indiana's good, man. They're good. And uh-huh. uh, they're a top-10 team for a reason. Ole Miss has got its work cut out for them. It's not to say Ole Miss can't win. I, I, don't, I don't hate the matchup strictly because Ole Miss is so good on offense that if it gets rolling, then um, you know, it could cause Indiana, Indiana problems. You know, you get out ahead, and then they can't play catch up, especially with a backup quarterback. But you know, any any ailment for a for a bad offense is or a struggling offense is a is a even more struggling defense. And and Ole Miss has historically struggled this year, to put it lightly. So um, uh-huh. I'm interested in the game. I, I I hate the fact that we're going to Tampa and to the Outback Bowl in a COVID year. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we're going, but you know I wish we could take forty thousand fans down there like we would in a normal season. I mean, we would take half the stadium, and and uh, we just can't do that because of the virus. Early uh, early pick in here. Bill Connolly released his uh, SP plus bowl picks. He has uh, Indiana as the as the projected winner at sixty six percent. Uh, the margin is 7.2. So he's got it uh, 36-29 Indiana. Um, I mean, I, that wouldn't shock me. Um, but like you said, Ben, who, you know, Ole Miss gets the ball first. Um, or if they kick off, force a three and out, you know, Jack Tuttle struggles a little bit to uh, make a couple throws or they can't run the football. Ole Miss scores. Maybe they go up 14 nothing. Um, that's a lot of pressure on a guy that's only started one game this year. And um, if, if Ole Miss can, can put together a couple scoring drives and, and jump out to an early lead, uh, Indiana's playing catch-up with an offense that's not explosive. So, you, you know, obviously anything can happen in a college football game. So we'll see. Uh, it'll be fun January 2nd, 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time on ABC. So prime time on uh, on January 2nd. Um, I would venture to say most people will have the day off. If not, uh, they'll be at home working for the most part. So people will be tuned in and it'll be uh, another opportunity for Ole Miss to make a statement on a, on a big stage. So uh, it, we're going to take – well, I was going to add, Go not ahead. just that, it's a Saturday after – New Year's. So, you know, like I said, everyone should be at home. Oh, it is a Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Saturday. So, I mean, you know, most people, you know, at least that are working the, you know, your traditional nine to five should be at home, but it's, it's an ABC game against a team. I don't think that we've played 
a team from the Big Ten since we played Michigan in the Gator Bowl back in, what, 1990, 1991 uh, season. So you're looking at three decades since we played a whole, a whole conference. And it's uh, I think we've I think there's 57 teams that we've not played before. Indiana's one of those teams. So it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, I hate that, you know, we, like you said, Ben, we can't have 30,000 fans there. We were talking earlier in the week with a friend. Bowl games are so fun because they're the most Ole Miss fans you're going to find anywhere outside of Oxford. You know what I mean? Like it's more than a road game. It's more than the College World Series even. It's more than, you know, anything else. So it's a really fun thing. You know, you got the pep rally, the band, and, you know, everywhere you go, there's Ole Miss fans in town. So it it sucks that we can't do that. Um, But it is cool that we're going to go to a Florida Bowl. It's it's the first Florida Bowl. And, you know, maybe not everyone listens lifetime, but, you know, pretty much since all of us reached, you know, uh, adulthood, at least. I mean, the last one we played was the Gator Bowl, so it, it's a it's a cool thing that we're going to go down there. Absolutely, it'll be fun. Yeah, and sorry, I did not realize it was a Saturday, so yeah, everybody's going to be watching. Um, there's a reason Ole Miss is in a bowl game when they're f- four and five. Uh, Lane Kiffin is exciting. The offense is exciting. So um, we will definitely be locked in. I think most people will too. Um, but yeah, chance to make a statement playing against a top 10 team. All right, we're going to take our break. When we come back, we're going to uh, dive into coaching search season in the second segment, and we're going to give our thoughts uh, about the Auburn vacancy. And I think we've got a, uh, we've got some things to say, so hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, Go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery 
in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out their rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic, and as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here, Podcast Rebellion, Hangover Edition. We are now shifting to the coaching carousel. Uh, Auburn, still open. Nobody wants to coach there. Uh, <laughs> Gus Malzahn got fired. Um, they've been interviewing people left and right. Most people, uh, I think, expect Kevin Steele to somehow back back his way into this one and get promoted from D.C. to head coach. Um, let's see. What's the list, guys? How many people have turned them down at this point? Uh, Napier's turned them down. Bill Clark's turned them down. Brett Venables uh, summarily turned them down, right? I mean, he turned them down, you know, with the swiftness, with the backhand. Um, I mean, I think that you could say Kiffin's turned them down, right? I mean, at this point, I mean, you know, whatever, in so much as they reached out to him. So that's four pretty big name guys. I'm sure that there's a half dozen more, you know, smaller coaches that I can't really recall. They're hiring Hugh Freeze, aren't they? I hope so. But I, yeah, it sure feels that way because of all the people I've listed, they turned him down. I don't think Hugh Freeze is turning them down. Do y'all? No, he's not. He's not. If they if they ask Hugh Freeze, he's he's on his way back. If if the SEC will let him come back, he's here. Those other coaches, you know, kind of have a reason. I mean, Bill Clark. Not really sure the reason he'd want to stick around at UAB, but Billy Napier thinks he's going to get a better job. Uh, you know, I don't think that that Brandon Venables really has much reason to get out of Clemson, but Hugh Freeze has no reason not to come down from from Liberty. Absolutely not. None, and he he fits there. Um, they're gonna, you know, he's 
he's beat Alabama before. That's a big requirement at Auburn. Um, he runs a similar style offense, not identical, but similar to Gus Malzahn. Um, and if it if the rumors are true that they want to have some kind of say so in his staff, I don't think he'll have problem with that. Mm-mm. I mean, I think he's the type that will would go to Auburn and allow just to get back. He he'd be like, yeah, well, he's, he's not in a position to say no, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I it looks like you know. Occam's Razor says it's either going to be him or Kevin Steele. Uh, so it looks like right now you've had uh, Bill Clark turn them down, Billy Napier, and Mario Cristobal. Uh, I don't really know if Kiffin was ever in the running um, at all, but we could say he turned them down. It looks like to this point they're going to turn to either Hugh Freeze, Neil Brown, or Kevin Steele. I maybe Venables turned him down. I I don't know if that's been confirmed that they talked with him, but I mean, if it hasn't been confirmed, they either didn't or, like you said, Nick, he turned him down rather quickly. Yeah, I still don't think this is as bad as now. It's still early, I guess, and you know we could still be going with this a week later from now, but. I still don't think this is as bad as Tennessee's uh, coaching search a couple of years ago, right? I mean, that was much more public scale, and it played out over a longer period of time. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, t- the Tennessee one happened kind of by itself, I guess, because the season still feels like it's sort of ongoing because of how late it went. And then we started bowl games You know, Monday. You had, you know, 36 hours after the last college football regular season game. So it doesn't feel like it's kind of by itself, but that all, I mean, that Tennessee one, I mean, they offered it to Leach, right? And they pretty much had a, a whole, you know, social media campaign to not get him. So I don't know. It's it's getting there. It's getting there. And if they end up hiring Kevin Steele, I think it'll probably look as just as bad. And I think the Auburn fans are going to be pretty upset about it. They searched the whole country to find the best guy for the job right there in their own backyard. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, so I, real quick, uh, how how good is the Auburn job? In all honesty, I mean i I think Auburn's a top ten to fifteen job. Uh, I think it's a top. I don't know. I, I said this earlier. We talked about, you know, who would you take between Tennessee and Auburn? You know, us two and a friend were having this discussion yesterday. I, I think that the Auburn job is helped by its its proximity to Florida and how many, you know, athletes are, are, you know, in the panhandle and Orlando and Tampa region. And then also it's not all that far from Atlanta. I mean, I think that that helps. But right now you have, if not the best, a top two program, you know, whether you want to say Clemson's number one, you've got them both right there in your backyard uh, in terms of Alabama. So, I mean, that, that hurts. Otherwise, it's a pretty good job. I mean, if, if Saban retired in three years, I would say it's definitely top 15 and probably top 10. Today, you know, probably just outside that top 10, just because of who you've got, you know, to share a state with, right? Well, you know, if you look at jobs across the country, you got to think you would take Alabama, Ohio State, I would still consider the Texas job strictly based on potential, but we know kind of how they've done. LSU, Florida, 
Um, probably Southern Cal, Clemson, Oregon, Michigan, maybe. But like you start trying to reach to find schools better than Auburn as far as when it comes to coaching, they're going to pay a lot. They've got a lot of boosters who are willing to do what it takes. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's above them. Do what? Oklahoma's up there above them. Oklahoma, Clemson's yeah. above them. It, it's on par with Miami, maybe. Does that sound about right? I think it's a better job than Miami. Oh. Right, right I, now. I mean, right now. But when, they played when, for two national championships in 10 years. It's, sure, sure. But when the U is rocking, I mean, they've got sure. – Yeah, yeah, their team is higher. That's right. You're right. Yeah, they've got a big-time alumni. I mean, they've got big-time guys that want to, you know, come down and walk on the sideline when they're playing. You guys remember that um, Orange Bowl they played a couple years ago. It was a big deal. And they've got, you know, a big-time alumni base. That town loves them when they're playing well. And then, you know, they're playing at an NFL stadium, which is nice. And also the talent that you've got just in, you know, from Fort Lauderdale all the way down to Miami is, is more than you've got in pretty much any town in the country, maybe besides Atlanta. So I think it's in that same category as Auburn, maybe. And I don't know that you would – maybe that 12 to 18 range. I don't know. It's hard to rank and say yeah. it's you know well, definitely a better or worse job than Miami. Let, let's, let's simplify it. What jobs in the SEC are better than Auburn? Georgia. Alabama. LSU. Um. I think it's probably in the Texas A&M category because at the end of the day, yeah, maybe, you know, someone that grows up in Dallas wants to be a Longhorn, but Texas A&M has a ton of money, which, which they can, you know, they can just, you know, destroy Auburn in terms of, of, of the amount of money that they've got. I mean, they rebuilt their entire stadium in two separate off seasons because that, you know, when you've got enough money, you can, you can pretty much do anything. And then, you know they they're still in Texas. I mean that's still what what are they seventy five miles from Houston, which is probably third I think in terms of cities behind Miami and Atlanta. So I would put them in the same category. I think if you were doing tiers, you probably put them in there with Texas A and M. So past that, your top maybe tier, oh in Florida, you're yeah you're so see I would say I'd say Florida is a better job than Auburn. Yeah, yeah, Florida's a better job. That's I left them off. So Florida, LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. So it, it's at best tied for fifth, right? Yeah, and then so the second tier, and we're gonna even we're gonna include, you know, like potential in this because some schools, let's say Tennessee, has not has not fought at its it's at its punching weight, has punched at its fighting weight in years, but it's still a good job. I mean, they still have a huge budget and huge fan base. So you put those four in the top, then you go the second tier, A&M, Auburn, probably Tennessee. Yeah. And then So what are they So what are they going to do there, if they just if they just promote Kevin Steele? How oh does that God. how does that change the job? I don't think that they're they're back in the same spot in three years. I just there's no way it goes well enough that that they're all con- happy. I mean, we you saw what happened with firsthand, us. You don't yeah. fire from within and generate so- excitement like that's not unless unless they go eleven and one next year. Like Dabble. it is, that's it's right. DOA. It's it. There's no there's no fixing it. I was yeah. gonna say that's that's the thing with uh, 
with uh, with with hiring from within, it's like everybody saw Clemson do it and str- and strike gold with Dabo. So then now everybody's like, oh well, they can. I mean, I fell victim to it where I was like, hey, you know, I didn't think that Matt Luke was going to be the next Dabo, but I was like, hey, just just hire people around you to make decisions to where you don't have to do them. And I mean, I think we all got excited when they got Richrod and they um. Hired Mike McIntyre. We're like, oh, two former Power Five head coaches that have won a lot. They've been all over the place. Like, this is perfect. Nope, didn't work. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to say that Kevin Steele is probably a better suited uh, candidate than Matt, uh, more than Matt Luke. But I mean, the last time he was a head coach was in the '90s at Baylor, and he didn't even win ten games in what four years. Yeah, they went one and thirty-one in his four years in the Big Twelve. So I mean, they I mean, one and thirty-one. It's just unbelievable. But I, with Dabo, it was like a perfect storm. It was like Clemson woke up and decided, you know, their 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 donor base, excuse me, woke up and decided, hey, we know what to do now. We figured it out. Let's put Dabo in there. He's a perfect game manager, controller of the program, and and then they kind of let that. Um, I don't know how to put this nicely. They kind of let that recruiting machine just start churning. And that just kind of started working its way. And players started loving their visits to Clemson. They love going out on the water. And and it just, you know, it was working for them. It's been working for Auburn. So I don't know. It's not like they've got Kevin Steele and now they figured it out. And now they know how to play the game. Now that they've got Kevin Steele in there, Auburn's been playing the game. Yeah. So I was going to say this earlier. I don't think anybody has maximized their potential more than Auburn Tigers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. History. Like they, there's no reason, I, and this is going to go against what I said earlier, there's no reason that Auburn should have played in two national championships in 10 years. Ole Miss can't sniff it, yet the schools are almost identical in every sense of the word. Enrollment, endowment, like recruiting base. Ole Miss has more wealthy alumni. I mean, yet Ole Miss – has had two two win seasons in ten years. Yeah, Auburn I mean, is a nine eight to nine win a year team that could catch lightning in a bottle through a Cam Newton or through tip six and pick six and kick six to make it a national championship. Very similar to Ole Miss if things are going correctly. It's a very similar program with your biggest rival being in state. You have to deal with that. I mean, Lord knows that dealing with Alabama is much different than dealing with Mississippi State. But um, you know, the crazy thing is the overall record between Auburn and Ole Miss is like what forty to ten or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, you're 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 competing in the same state with Nick Saban for recruits, but you, Alabama and Auburn recruit nationally too. Auburn recruits Georgia a lot. They recruit Tennessee. They recruit North Carolina, South Carolina. They recruit Florida. So it's not like you're just, oh, crap, like we can't recruit in-state because Saban's here. Like they go elsewhere for it. And, you know, the network there is – they've always recruited well um, for the last 10 years. They recruit very well in South Georgia. So, yeah, like you said, Ole Miss has a very similar makeup – in terms of the 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 money situation, um, and then there, there are a lot of similarities there. So it's just kind of like, man, how in the world is Ole Miss going to stop getting in its own way and start getting things done? 
Because like you said, I mean, the track record's there with Auburn. They've played in some national title games. They've beaten Alabama over the years. Um, they've beaten Georgia here and there. So um, not now, not very often if you look at that rivalry uh, win-loss record. But but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's still a top 20, top 15 job. Um, you're in this, you're in the SEC footprint. You're, uh, you get a lot of help there with SEC network money and whatnot, but whoo, it's a, uh, it's a tough look right now with nobody really wanting to get there. So uh, last question here before we close up, I mean, how bad, uh, like how bad is it going to get before they get a coach? And then how can that bad situation affect candidates wanting your job how it affected the tennessee search i'll tell you this if they offer if their interest in hugh freeze is legitimate they're going to have a coach before we podcast again yeah yeah unless unless the sec you know we talked in the past about the sec wanting to hold up you know hugh freeze from getting another sec job unless they put their foot down at some point i think that that's you know you know, if you're Greg Sankey, bygones have got to be bygones. It's been what almost, you know, it'll be this is coming up on the fifth year that he'll have been gone. It's over. You know, he's he's done his time. He's gone back. And you let guys like Dan Mullen, you know, screw over an SEC program, go to a different SEC program, and then get a show calls in his what sec third year down there. So clearly you don't you're not too concerned about optics. I, I think that I don't think that the SEC is gonna stand in the way of this. I don't I th- I think I mean I'm probably on the other side of you guys. I think Hugh Freeze could be very successful at Auburn. I think it's a bad recipe because I think it's a, a place that kind of recruits itself defensively from the amount of players they put in the league to just that maybe it's the type of guys they get. You know, you talk about South Georgia. Maybe South Georgia's you know producing bigger, stronger, tougher defensive linemen than you know that Alabama's getting out of you know Atlanta or something. So I think it's it's. Uh, kind of a built-in advantage they've got recruiting defensively, and I think that that would go a long way in, in helping Hugh Freeze because that's what he struggled with here. So I think it's a recipe for disaster. I think they should have already called him. You know, maybe it has a shelf life, Ben. I think you were saying that. It's, you know, Hugh Freeze could be good, but in year four, you know, that that, that clock's kind of ticking. That's possible, but I, I don't want to see Hugh Freeze on the sideline next year for Auburn. That, that scares me. I'll be honest with you. The good news, either way, Ole Miss is going to get to play him. So if Auburn hires him, they'll play him. If not, they'll play Liberty next season. So uh, he's going to have to get that ass beaten either way. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, this is – yeah, it's interesting. Um, by the time you're listening to this, they could have hired somebody or things could have gotten worse. Uh, I can't say I hate uh, – I, I truly hate to see it. Um, it's nice to see another SEC West team squirm and, uh, you know, shit their pants when it's – when it's coaching search season, real quick, Zach, wouldn't wouldn't they have just hired Kevin Steele? If I mean, and I felt like they, that's what they're going to do all along. But that's what you think. Would, would they have wanted this terrible look to just hire the DC? That's I, I'm with you. Like I don't know what they're what they're waiting on. I, I really don't. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, at this point, is he a backup plan? Like, well, I, I don't know. It, it's strange. Um. Now it could just be there. There are some big time boosters strong arming some people. Um, you know, somebody could have built a fort with Yellowwood, uh, and uh, they're fortifying their position to a uh, higher Kevin Steele. Who can say? 
Um, but it, yeah, it is incredibly odd that it would come to this where, you know, everybody's like, what the hell's going on? Because if you're going to hire him, if, if he's your guy, like he's sitting right there, go down the hallway and hire him. So it's bizarre. Um, but like I said, I can't say I don't enjoy seeing it. So, um, but as Auburn typically does, they'll usually pull some kind of horseshoe out their ass and get lucky. So, um, no, you know that recruiting class will end up like 19th. It's at like 64 or something right now. And you know they'll there'll be three there'll be three five stars out there that are uncommitted and they'll happen to sign all three of them. That was like somebody asked they're like what recruits could almost poach from there and I looked at their at their commitment list and I was like, "Oh, there's like one on here." Like that's it. Um mainly because of position of need, but you get what I'm saying. Um all right, so that's going to do it for Podcast Rebellion. Uh gentlemen, I think um we'll we'll probably do one again next week after uh the holidays uh before the bowl game but uh we're we're getting we're getting awfully close to uh 2021 thank god because 2020 has been terrible um so be thinking on some new year's resolutions for uh for the podcast for uh for next week yeah sounds good we'll definitely get back and see if maybe we can throw in a couple locks for the uh for the for the folks that want to make some money, maybe uh, maybe want to make some of that 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 cash they spent back on Christmas. Fade podcast rebellion. Fade podcast. <laughs> How did we do last week? Not wow. good. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody was in the red. Um, pulling it up now. I went zero and three. I was one and two. Ben was zero and three, and then Nick, you and Austin went one and two. So three and nine. Uh, we are just now, for the first time all year, in the red. So we got to bounce back with these bowls. First games. time in the history of Podcast Rebellion. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, we've never been in the red. So um, go figure. Weird COVID. Yeah, just screwing everybody up. Um, but we'll. Uh, yeah, we'll be back. We'll we'll have some locks. Um, but we're gonna. We're going to pack it in for the uh, for the holidays here, take some days off. I think everybody else should do the same after you listen to this episode. Um, stay safe out there. Uh, enjoy the time off. Enjoy the holidays. And we'll be back next week to uh, preview Ole Miss, Indiana, and then talk bowl games and give you our picks. So for Ben, for Nick, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. We out.